Content note, this episode of So Many Books, So Little Time does have some slurs that we have edited out, some of which referred to intellectual acumen and similar uh, discussions along that line, as well as one term that's often used uh, to describe that someone has been betrayed or at least um, missed out on something. Uh, and it's re- it's using an abbreviated slur referring to the Romani people, which has definitely fallen out of favor, at least in those who know what it means. Now, we say this, but of course, the real reason we have this content note at the start is because Rue could just not stop swearing up a storm the whole episode. Yeah, I know. It was just, you know, it's such a disturbing book. Hi, folks. This is Rue. And Dave. And welcome to So Many Books. So Little Time. Today we continue with A Wrinkle in Time by Madeleine Langle and Chapter 2. Cue the music. Mrs. What's It and this is Mrs. Who. Are we going to get a, uh, I don't know, that's a uh, Abbott and Costello joke? Mm, I cannot say anything without spoilers. So no, I cannot say anything. So Dave, uh, aside from melting and the complicated life that we all now live, um, how are you being? How have you been? Uh, let's see. Yeah. Well, as we're recording, it's just a couple days before Christmas. By the time you listen to it, it will be a couple days after mm. Christmas. So, um, yeah, I mean, like probably the, the most, what's been on my mind the most is the heat. The last few days have been, I believe the word obscene is what I used. Um, now, I'm very lucky with the place I'm in now has air conditioning, and I don't care about the cost I am running it. But, it, it you know, my, my power is not too expensive. I, I'm doing quite well in my area, so it's it's something, you know, that, that is worth the price, especially because I'm not too extravagant to, uh, in other areas. I don't really spend money a lot. I'm, I'm still kind of, you know, it, I have... This job I have now is the first uh, one I've had for a while. So I've kind of gotten into a mentality of, you know, worrying about money. And now that I no longer have to do that, I'm kind of having to overcome that old mentality. Yeah. Unfortunately, um, electricity bills are something that are challenging um, where we live. Part of it is because I think we were used to having fairly cheap electricity and then... The idea is that solar is meant to make it more accessible. However, that initial gap to actually set up solar is not always that achievable for everyone. Mm. So, yeah, it's... <laughs> I think we need to actually... Our, our home, we need to revise our electricity supplier because it's not, it's not financially sustainable. Not in mm. summer. And it's pretty rough. Like, here we've got it's it's not great so i'm and i can't really so our situation is such that 
it's going to become increasingly a unsafe to go to hospital and b it might not be an option as in we are likely in the immediate future to have the situation where we are just turned away from hospitals as and catching up to the rest of the worldwide uh, community in that regard um unfortunately and yeah uh, it's the reason this lot ties in is because summer um, heat can be a problem. There's a bunch of people who have some fairly serious health conditions. They get badly triggered by heat. Mm -hmm. And I'm one of those unlucky ones as well. Um, extreme temperatures tend to trigger off an inappropriate neurological response. I kind of like yeah. that. You know, usually when you hear people talk about like seasonal affective disorder, they're talking about winter and the cold. But I think I have that for summer. When it, well, you can. When you can I, have too much sun. When I get hot, I get my temper gets short. Yeah. And um, things that I might just, you know, water off a duck's back in, in, in a normal temperature, suddenly they really get to me and I, I have trouble... Yeah. Uh, not not having a, a large uh, dose of anger directed in the direction of uh, whatever is uh, decided mm -hmm. to annoy me. Well, Usually, and they yeah. have no idea, of course, but, you know. Yeah, it's it's often we have, um, you'll find that there, a lot of people without realizing it, temperature can trigger off, like, neuro, like, you start becoming inappropriate neurological responses, and that would include things like being a bit more short, being a bit more fight-flight, I have, I have less energy when it's hot. Yeah, well, your body is in a state of crisis and trying to cope with the heat and it's not designed for it. Or you can have extreme reactions where, you know, your heart doesn't do the right thing and your blood pressure doesn't do the right thing. And then, um, yeah, it's it's not great. So summer, the summer heat period is actually quite dangerous and not having not going to be able to turn to hospitals for support is going to be a major issue. Mm. I think we're going to have a pretty rough summer. I mean, northern continents, so northern, uh, you know, in countries where we have the extreme cold, I mean, we have exposure here and cold too, but depending on where you live in winter. But the extent that it happens like in in. Uh, other countries where they have blizzards and snowstorms and just ridiculous temperatures in the in the negative we don't get that but we get the issues in summer mm -hmm. yes there's the bushfire element but there's also the heat element bodies can only tolerate a certain amount yeah. and some people's bodies can only tolerate a very narrow window of change and uh, particularly the elderly and the very young are mostly like the greatest affected by this but also a lot of people who are disabled or have underlying conditions some of whom don't even know that they have this underlying condition uh, it's um yep yeah. it's going to be a very interesting next few months and the worst thing is that there's probably going to be a whole bunch of people that are going to have to deal with things that usually would require hospitalization and try and figure out how to cope at home. Hmm. So everyone brush up on your, if you're in the, in the summer months right now, and this might be relevant to the rest of the world uh, in their part of the year. If you are in summer right now, 
brush up on your uh, first aid and long-term management strategies for heat stroke, it would probably be wise. And if you are in an area that is experiencing the colder months, maybe start preparing now. <laughs> it's, yeah, get, get those first aid skills like beyond, beyond basics. Um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting next few years for sure. But yes, so on that lovely, cheerful note, chapter one, what you, we, we reflected a bit on your feelings last time, but yeah. you've had a week to mull on it. Yeah, I edited the episode. It was lovely listening back to it again. Uh, for just, I guess, brief recap, um, we met Meg and Mrs. Murray and Charles Wallace and then Mrs. Watson got a nice picture of... I think Meg and Charles Wallace, we got a good picture of. Mrs. Murray, we got an impression of. Same thing with Mrs. Watson. But I get the feeling that Meg's our main character and Charles Wallace might be a secondary. So it, it makes sense that we'd learn just a little more about them. And they've all got their own... Um, and we know there's also Dennis and Sandy, but they're kind of almost... It's not that they're an afterthought. It's just that they're they're there, but they're not as necessarily obviously affected as the rest of the family. And uh, we know that Mr. Murray has disappeared, mm. unknown. And uh, what are, Mrs. Murray is generally unflappable, at least on the surface. Charles Wallace pointed out that might not need to be physically doesn't need physically help physical help, but does need emotion might might need emotional help. Implied it. Um, needs some support in that regard mm. even though she seems unflappable but then Mrs. Watsit dropped some sort of verbal bombshell at the end basically saying there is such a thing as a tesseract and that's left Mrs. Murray Flat. pale and shocked and not sure how to even like just in a state of shock so the, and and this is the first time her kids both of both well two of her kids that were there this is the first time that both meg and charles wallace have seen her affected flapped flapped exactly flapped since the absence of mr murray so yes and we continue i believe mm. chapter two mrs who when meg woke to the jangling of her alarm clock the wind was still blowing, but the sun was shining. The worst of the storm was over. She sat up in bed, shaking her head to clear it. It must have been a dream. She'd been frightened by the storm and worried about the tramp, so she'd just dreamed about going down to the kitchen and seeing Mrs. Watsit and having her mother get all frightened and upset by that word. What was it? Tess, Tess something. She dressed hurriedly, picked up the kitten still curled up on the bed, and dumped it unceremoniously on the floor. The kitten yawned, stretched, and gave a piteous meow, trotted out of the attic and down the stairs. Meg made her bed and hurried after it. In the kitchen, her mother was making French toast, and the twins were already at the table. The kitten was lapping milk out of the saucer. "'Where's Charles?' Meg asked. "'Still asleep. We had a rather interrupted night, if you remember.' "'I hoped it was a dream,' Meg said." Her mother carefully turned over four slices of French toast and then said in a steady voice, No, Meg, don't hope it was a dream. I don't understand it any more than you do. But one thing I've learned is that you don't have to understand things for them to be. I'm sorry I showed you I was upset. 
Your father and I used to have a joke about tesseract. What is a tesseract? Meg asked. It's a concept, Mrs. Murray handed the twins the syrup. I'll try to explain it to you later. There isn't time before school. I don't see why you didn't wake us up, Dennis said. It's a we missed out on all the fun. You'll be a lot more awake in school than I will, Meg took her French toast to the table. Who cares, Sandy said. If you're going to let old tramps come into the house in the middle of the night, mother, you ought to have Den and me around to protect you. After all, father would expect us to, Dennis added. We know you have a great mind in all, mother, Sandy said, but you don't have much sense, and certainly Meg and Charles don't. I know, we're Meg was bitter. I wish you wouldn't be such a dope, Meg, sir, please. Sandy reached across the table. You don't have to take everything so personally. Use a happy medium, for heaven's sake. You just go off around in school and look out the window and you don't pay any attention. You just make things harder for yourself, Dennis said. And Charles Wallace is going to have an awful time next year when he starts school. We know he's bright, but he's so funny when he's around other people and they're so used to thinking he's dumb, I don't know what's going to happen to him. Sandy and I'll sock anybody who picks on him, but that's about all we can do. Let's not worry about next year till we get through this one, Mrs. Murray said. More French toast, boys. At school, Meg was tired, and her eyelids sagged, and her mind wandered. In social studies, she was asked to name the principal imports and exports of Nicaragua, and although she had looked them up dutifully the evening before, now she could remember none of them. The teacher was sarcastic, the rest of the class laughed, and she flung herself down in her seat in fury. Who cares about the imports and exports of Nicaragua, anyhow, she muttered. If you're going to be rude, Margaret, you may leave the room, the teacher said. Okay, I will, Meg flounced out. During study hall, the principal sent for her. What seems to be the problem now, Meg? he asked pleasantly enough. Meg looked sulkily down at the floor. Nothing, Mr. Jenkins. Miss Porter tells me you were inexcusably rude. Meg shrugged. Don't you realize that you just make everything harder for yourself by your attitude? The principal asked. Now, Meg, I'm convinced that you can do the work and keep up with your grade if you apply yourself. But some of your teachers are not. You're going to have to do something about yourself. Nobody can do it for you. Meg was silent. Well, what about it, Meg? I don't know what to do, Meg said. You could do your homework, for one thing. Wouldn't your mother help you? If I asked her to. Meg, is something troubling you? Are you unhappy at home? Mr. Jenkins asked. At last, Meg looked at him, pushing at her glasses in a characteristic gesture. Everything's fine at home. I'm glad to hear it, but I know it must be hard on you to have your father away. Meg eyed the principal warily and ran her tongue over the barbed line of her braces. Have you had any news from him lately? Meg was sure it was not only imagination that made her feel that behind Mr. Jenkins' surface concern was a gleam of avid curiosity. Wouldn't he like to know, she thought, and if I knew anything, he's the last person I'd tell. Well, one of the last. 
The postmistress must know that it was almost a year now since the last letter, and heaven knows how many people she'd told, or what unkind guesses she'd made about the reason for the long silence. Mr. Jenkins waited for an answer, but Meg only shrugged. Just what was your father's line of business? Mr. Jenkins asked. Some kind of scientist, wasn't he? He is a physicist. Meg bared her teeth to reveal the two ferocious lines of braces. Meg, don't you think you'd make a better adjustment to life if you faced facts? I do face facts, Meg said. They're a lot easier to face than people, I can tell you. Then why don't you face facts about your father? You leave my father out of it, Meg shouted. Stop bellowing, Mr. Jenkins said sharply. Do you want the entire school to hear you? So what? Meg demanded. I'm not ashamed of anything I'm saying, are you? Mr. Jenkins sighed. Do you enjoy being the most belligerent, uncooperative child in school? Meg ignored this. She leaned over the desk toward the principal. Mr. Jenkins, you've met my mother, haven't you? You can't accuse her of not facing facts, can you? She's a scientist. She has a doctor's degree in both biology and bacteriology. Her business is facts. When she tells me that my father isn't coming home, I'll believe it. As long as she says father is coming home, then I'll believe that. Mr. Jenkins sighed again. No doubt your mother wants to believe that your father is coming home, Meg. Very well. I can't do anything else with you. Go on back to your study hall. Go on back to study hall. Try to be a little less antagonistic. Maybe your work would improve if your general attitude were more tractable. When Meg got home from school, her mother was in the lab, the twins were at Little League, and Charles Wallace, the kittens, and Fortinbras were waiting for her. Fortinbras jumped up, put his front paws on her shoulder, and gave her a kiss, and the kitten rushed to his empty saucer and mewed loudly. Come on, Charles Wallace said. Let's go. Where? Meg asked. I'm hungry, Charles. I don't want to go anywhere till I've had something to eat. She was still sore from the interview with Mr. Jenkins, and her voice sounded cross. Charles Wallace looked at her thoughtfully as she went to the refrigerator and gave the kitten some milk, then drank a mugful herself. He handed her a paper bag. Here's a sandwich and some cookies and an apple. I thought we'd better go see Mrs. Watsit. Oh, golly, Meg said. Why, Charles? You're still uneasy about her, aren't you? Charles asked. Well, yes. Don't be. She is all right, I promise you. She's on our side. How do you know? Meg, he said impatiently. I know. But why should we go see her now? I want to find out more about that tesseract thing. Didn't you see how it upset Mother? You know when Mother can't control the way she feels, when she lets us see she's upset, then it's something big. Meg thought for a moment. Okay, let's go. But let's take Fortinbras with us. Well, of course, he needs the exercise. They set off, Fortinbras rushing ahead, then doubling back to the two children, then leaping off again. The Murrays lived about four miles out of the village. Behind the house was a pine woods, and it was through this that Charles Wallace took Meg. Charles, you know she's going to get in awful trouble, Mrs. Watsit, I mean, if they find out she's broken into the haunted house. And taking Mrs. Buncombe's sheets and everything, they could send her to jail. 
one of the reasons I want to go over this afternoon is to warn them. Them? I told you she was there with her two friends. I'm not even sure it was Mrs. Watson herself who took the sheets, though I wouldn't put it past her. But what would she want all those sheets for? I intend to ask her, Charles Wallace said, and to tell them they'd better be more careful. I don't really think they'll let anybody find them, but I just thought we ought to mention the possibility. Sometimes during vacation some of the boys go out there looking for thrills, but I don't think anybody's apt to right now, what with basketball and everything. They walked in silence for a moment through the fragrant woods, the rusty pine needles gentle under their feet. Up above them the wind made music in the branches. Charles Wallace slipped his hand confidingly in Meg's, and the sweet little boy gesture warmed her so that she felt the tense knot inside her begin to loosen. Charles loves me at any rate, she thought. School awful again today? he asked after a while. Yes, I got sent to Mr. Jenkins. He made snide remarks about father. Charles Wallace nodded sagely. I know. How do you know? Charles Wallace shook his head. I can't quite explain. You tell me, that's all. But I never say anything. You just seem to know. Everything about you tells me, Charles said. What about the twins? Meg asked. Do you know about them too? I suppose I could if I wanted to, if they needed me. But it's sort of tiring, so I just concentrate on you and mother. You mean you read our minds? Charles Wallace looked troubled. I don't think it's that. It's being able to understand a sort of language. Like sometimes, if I concentrate very hard, I can understand the wind talking with the trees. You tell me, you see, a sort of inad inadvertently. That's a good word, isn't it? I got Mother to look it up in the dictionary for me this morning. I really must learn to read, except I'm afraid it will make it awfully hard for me in school next year if I already know things. I think it will be better if people go on thinking I'm not very bright. They won't hate me quite so much. Ahead of them, Fortinbras started barking loudly. The warning bay that usually told them that a car was coming up the road or that someone was at the door. Somebody's here, Charles Wallace said sharply. Somebody's hanging around the house. Come on! He started to run, his short legs straining. At the edge of the woods, Fortinbras stood in front of a boy barking furiously. As they came panting up, the boy said, For crying out loud, call off your dog. Who is he? Charles Wallace asked Meg. Calvin O'Keefe. He's in regional, but he's older than I am. He's a big bug. It's all right, fella. I'm not going to hurt you, the boy said to Fortinbras. Sit, Fort. Charles Wallace commanded, and Fortinbras dropped to his haunches in front of the boy, a low growl still pulsing in his dark throat. Okay, Charles Wallace put his hands on his hips. Now tell us what you're doing here. I might ask the same of you, the boy said with some indignation. Aren't you two of the Murray Coats? This isn't your property, is it? He started to move, but Fortinbras' growl grew louder and he stopped. Tell me about him, Meg, Charles Wallace demanded. What would I know about him? Meg asked. He's a couple of grades above me and he's on the basketball team. Just because I'm tall... Calvin sounded a little embarrassed. Tall he certainly was, and skinny. His bony wrists stuck out of the sleeves of his blue sweater. His worn corduroy trousers were three inches too short. He had orange hair that needed cutting, and the appropriate freckles to go with it. His eyes were an oddly bright blue. 
tell us what you're doing here, Charles Wallace said. What is this, the third degree? Aren't you the one who's supposed to be the b***? Meg flushed with rage, but Charles Wallace answered placidly. That's right. If you want me to call my dog off, you'd better give. Most peculiar b- I've ever met, Calvin said. I just came to get away from my family. Charles Wallace nodded. What kind of family? They all have runny noses. I'm third from the top of eleven kids. I'm a sport. At that, Charles Wallace grinned widely. So am I. I don't mean as in basketball, Calvin said. Neither do I. I mean as in biology, Calvin said suspiciously. A change in gene, Charles Wallace quoted, resulting in the appearance in the offspring of a character which is not present in the parents, but which is potentially transmissible to his offspring. What gives round here? Calvin asked. I was told you couldn't talk. Thinking I'm a b- gives people something to feel smug about, Charles Wallace said. Why should I disillusion them? How old are you, Cal? Fourteen. What grade? Junior. Eleventh. I'm bright. Listen, did anybody ask you to come here this afternoon? Charles Wallace, holding Fort by the collar, looked at Calvin suspiciously. What do you mean, asked? Calvin shrugged. You still don't trust me, do you? I don't distrust you, Charles Wallace said. Do you want to tell me why you're here then? Fort and Meg and I decide to go for a walk. We often do in the afternoon. Calvin dug his hands down in his pockets. You're holding out on me. So are you. Charles Wallace said. Okay, old sport, Calvin said. I'll tell you this much. Sometimes I get a feeling about things. You might call it a compulsion. Do you know what compulsion means? Constraint, obligation, because one is compelled. Not a very good definition, but it is the concise Oxford. Okay, okay, Calvin sighed. I must remember I am preconditioned in my concept of your mentality. Meg sat down on the coarse grass at the edge of the woods. Fort gently twisted his collar out of Charles Wallace's hands and came over to Meg, lying down beside her and putting his head in her lap. Calvin tried now politely to direct his words towards Meg as well as Charles Wallace. When I get this feeling, this compulsion, I always do what it tells me. I can't explain where it comes from or how I get it, and it doesn't happen very often, but I obey it, and this afternoon I had a feeling that I must come over to the haunted house. That's all I know, kid. I'm not holding anything back. Maybe it's because I'm supposed to meet you. You tell me. Charles Wallace looked at Calvin probingly for a moment. Then an almost glazed look came into his eyes, and he seemed to be thinking at him. Calvin stood very still and waited. At last, Charles Wallace said, Okay, I believe you, but I can't tell you. I think I'd like to trust you. Maybe you'd better come home with us and have dinner. Well, sure, but... What would your mother say to that? Calvin asked. She'd be delighted. Mother's all right. She's not one of us, but she's all right. What about Meg? Meg has it tough, Charles Wallace said. She's not really one thing or the other. What do you mean, one of us? Meg demanded. What do you mean I'm not one thing or the other? Not now, Meg, Charles Wallace said. Slowly. I'll tell you about it later. He looked at Calvin, then seemed to make a quick decision. Okay, let's take him to meet Mrs. Watson. If he's not okay, she'll know. He started off on his short legs toward the dilapidated old house. The haunted house was half in the shadows of the clump of elms in which it stood. The elms were almost bare now, and the ground round the house was yellow with damp leaves. 
The late afternoon light had a greenish cast which the blank windows reflected in a sinister way. An unhinged shutter thumped. Something else creaked. Meg did not wonder that the house had a reputation for being haunted. A board was nailed across the front door, but Charles Wallace led the way around to the back. The door there appeared to be nailed shut too, but Charles Wallace knocked and the door swung slowly outward, creaking on rusty hinges. Up in one of the elms, an old black crow gave its raucous cry and a woodpecker went into a wild rat-a-tat-tat. A large grey rat scuttled around the corner of the house and Meg let out a stifled shriek. They get a lot of fun out of using all the typical props, Charles Wallace said in a reassuring voice. Come on, follow me. Calvin put a strong hand to Meg's elbow and Fort pressed against her leg. Happiness at their concern was so strong in her that her panic fled and she followed Charles Wallace into the dark recesses of the house without fear. They entered into a sort of kitchen. There was a huge fireplace with a big black pot hanging over a merry fire. Why had there been no smoke visible from the chimney? Something in the pot was bubbling, and it smelled more like Mrs. Murray's chemical messes than something to eat. In a dilapidated Boston rocker sat a plump little woman. She wasn't Mrs. Watsit, so she must, Meg decided, be one of the Mrs. Watsit's two friends. She wore enormous spectacles, twice as thick and twice as large as Meg's, and she was sewing busily with rapid jabbing stitches on a sheet. Several other sheets lay on the dusty floor. Charles Wallace went up to her. I really don't think you ought to have taken Mrs. Buncombe's sheets without consulting me, he said, as cross and bossy as only a very small boy can be. What on earth do you want them for? The plump little woman beamed at him. Why, Charlesy, my pet, le coeur a ses raisons que la raison ne connaît point. French, Pascal, the heart has its reasons whereof reason knows nothing. But that's not appropriate at all, Charles said crossly. Your mother would find it so. A smile seemed to gleam through the roundness of spectacles. I am not talking about my mother's feelings about my father, Charles Wallace scolded. I'm talking about Mrs. Buncombe's sheets. The little woman sighed. The enormous glasses caught the light again and shone like an owl's eyes. In case we need ghosts, of course, she said. I should think that you'd have guessed. If we have to frighten anybody away, what's it thought we ought to do it appropriately? That's why it's so much fun to stay in a haunted house. But we really didn't mean you to know about the sheets. Auf frischer Tat ertappt, German, in flagrante delicto, Latin, caught in the act, English, as I was saying. But Charles Wallace had up his hand in a peremptory gesture. Mrs. Who, do you know this boy? Calvin bowed. Good afternoon, ma'am. I didn't quite catch your name. Mrs. Who will do, the woman said. He wasn't my idea, Charlesy, but I think he's a good one. Where's Mrs. Watsit? Charles asked. She's busy. It's getting near time, Charlesy. Getting near time. Ab honesto virum bonum nihil deteret. Seneca. Nothing deters a good man from doing what is honourable. And he's a very good man, Charlesy, darling. But right now he needs our help. Who? Meg demanded. And little Megzie, lovely to meet you, sweetheart. Your father, of course. Now go home, loves. The time is not yet ripe. Don't worry, we won't go without you. Get plenty of food and rest. Feed Calvin up. Now off with you. Justicia soror fides. Latin again, of course. Faith is the sister of justice. Trust in us. Now shoo. And she fluttered up from her chair and pushed them out the door with surprising power.
Charles, Meg said, I don't understand. Charles took her by the hand and dragged her away from the house. Fortinbras ran on ahead, and Calvin was close behind them. No, he said. I don't either yet. Not quite. I'll tell you what I know as soon as I can. But you saw Fort, didn't you? Not a growl, not a quiver, just as though there weren't anything strange about it. So you know it's okay. Look, do me a favor, both of you. Let's not talk about it till we've had something to eat. I need fuel so I can sort things out and assimilate them properly. Lead on, Calvin cried gaily. I have never even seen your house and I have the funniest feeling that for the first time in my life, I'm going home. Hmm. It's such a nice sentence to end off. Except yes. for the slur, but you know. <laughs> oh, I must say you did very well with all those languages. Thank you. Thank you. I tried my best. Everyone who's actually speaking those languages goes, what the heck? I'm sorry to all the French. I apologize. To all the Latin speakers. I apologize. There Germans, are. I'm not apologizing. That's my. That's that's fine. It's fine. <laughs> there are no Latin speakers. Oh, no. Plenty of Latin speakers, especially if they go to school in Germany. Although I think I did Latin with a German accent because that's how we got taught. That's how we were taught in Germany. Well, look, Germany's not too far from Italy, right? So yes, feelings, Dave, feelings, hmm. thoughts, feelings. Well, I mean, that definitely moved things forward. I, I, it feels like the story is just on the cusp of really getting started. Uh, mm -hmm. Last week, you did mention that, you know, uh, usually children's books have a fantastic pace to them. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, maybe we should go from the start to the finish and then I can kind of loosen up my thoughts as we go through i mean the start with the principal that was just maddening yep and and meg left school basically carrying this tension and a giant knot inside her mm -hmm. right i'm i'm feeling that um even though i don't know if the book is going to out explicitly state it but charles seems to be an empath that he can take a, a pick up on body language and Ex micro expressions and things like that if, if there isn't some kind of science fiction slash supernatural uh, there's answer. something well this yeah there's something odd about it yeah yeah I, I think you're picking it up i think he it's mentioned like this sometimes he feels like he can hear what the wind is saying to the trees so yeah there's something different about him mm -hmm. and so so calvin yeah well i mean charles seems to be a fairly decent judge of character and he says Calvin seems to be okay. I mean, at the moment, it just seems like, okay, tall, lanky kid who's playing basketball probably because he's tall and he feels he's forced to. Comes from a family of 11, so he probably doesn't really feel like he gets enough attention uh, from his parents. Yep. Uh, I mean, that line at the end kind of echoed that, the feeling that maybe for the first time I'll feel like I'm coming home. Also, he's saying, um, so he's got, he's apparently very smart. And he like, gets uh, very bright. feelings that he trusts. Yeah, he doesn't get them often, but when he gets mm -hmm. them, he listens to them. And the same way that he, um, was it, he said something uh, about the being bright. That he's a sport, right? Mm. As in, so he's a genetic breakaway from the rest of his family. He stands out in his family. He doesn't fit in. And uh, I'd just like to actually jump uh, based on that, um, to what Charles Wallace said about how 
you know, he, he welcomes the, the town impression of him that he's a simpleton because he, he feels uh, if it makes them feel better, then, then why dissuade them at that notion? Yeah, why, why, you know, disrupt their feeling of, of if that's what, what provides them a sense of adequacy, then, then that's, their, that's a them issue and he's not going to worry about it. Like, it's not going to hurt him at this yes. point in time. And, and from a five-year-old, that's especially um, strong because for someone at five to have such a sense of self, you know, yeah. I, I constantly work on myself to get to the point where other people's impressions of who I am do not affect me because I should know who I am. And it feels that Charles Wallace knows who he is. Now, because he is yeah. so young, perhaps there is, you know, room to be misplaced. We all have room to grow. But... Yeah, it feels like at least this young, this early on, he has he has a strong sense of who he is. He's also he's also probably more conscious of how others are, because he mm. was saying, "I can't pretend like, although there's a disadvantage on in terms of not learning to read now." And he probably could if he wanted mm-hmm. to immediately learn it. He's avoiding it so that he doesn't stand out so much that they start to hate him. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I mean, this is a five-year-old who just literally quoted Darwin, can match the quotes of Seneca, and what, like has no problem with that, yeah. understands whether a quote is or isn't appropriate to his line of inquiry and discussion. I, I did like how Mrs. Who's affectation does seem to be to speak in quotes in their original languages. Yeah, she's she's an interesting one. They're all very interesting. These three friends are interesting, and I cannot say anything else before it becomes like. But yes, yeah, so so Mrs. Who you will find, and she's going to be a challenging one to read because she <laughs> does that. You did find she, that. You get there, but it's, it's <laughs> sometimes it gets intense. But yeah, so she's you've got some new characters. The principal's a bit. I mean. The sarcastic teacher, the... But, but here's, uh, here's the other thing with them. Yeah, don't like them because they're making our main character feel awful. But in in the scope of the story, I feel like they don't matter. So I'm not... I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I'm like, that was... Yeah, like, great, I don't think but... they, they don't matter matter, but I think in terms of the impact that they have on Meg, that's something to remember. That she already feels like she's odd and she stands out not in a good way. And she's odd in her own home and she's odd also in the world out there. And notice what what Charles Wallace said to Calvin. I'm just going to go back to that bit. Yeah, so when Charles Wallace is going like, I'd like, Charles Wallace says, come come to dinner afterwards. And what about your mum? Mum goes, no, she's not one of us, but she's okay. What about Meg? Meg's not really one thing or the other. Like she hasn't uh, settled on what she is yet. Either that, or she doesn't. She fits. She doesn't fit properly in either world. Mm. Whatever the world is that Charles Wallace and Calvin live in, mm. their way, way of navigating the world, and her way, and, and then you've got the people like the teacher and the principal and all them. Well, Meg is definitely not in their world. Although it feels like she does want to be right. She she's not. Either she, I think she's trying to find her, her her path. And remember, going back to chapter one, you have parents that are trying to encourage her to find her own, who she is, to grow into who she is, mm. to grow into herself. 
And I think that's the thing that we've got Charles who kind of has rapidly so is mm. still growing into himself, but has done so at a very different pace than anyone else around him. Yeah. Even Sandy and Dennis. Mm. I was a bit annoyed at how they were speaking about their mum. Okay. That she's bright, but she doesn't have any sense. It's because they don't understand. Hmm. Right? And they are so occupied with surviving that world that's around them mm. that they, yeah. Yeah, they do seem uh, quote-unquote normal kids. Yes, except they're also not. And you can tell that they're not because they're like, they can see and they can navigate the world that's out there, but they can also recognize that, for example, Charles is very bright. and So they're worried about protecting those people around him. That, mm. Well, yeah, so they... They chided Meg for getting into that fight in chapter yeah. one. Yeah. They're very much in that protecting role, that fighting kind of protection role. Mm. Whereas you've got Meg that doesn't quite, that also has those urges to be protective. Mm -hmm. But at the same time is also not wanting to react that way and is, is, is trying to is down on herself for not knowing not I mean the principal said it you just need to do better basically and she's like yeah but I don't know what it is I need to do yeah. so she's not decided she's uncertain and I think you're right it's about choice she hasn't chosen what her path is yet so she's neither here nor there she's not she hasn't made a decision whatever this the, the us is that Charles Wallace and Calvin are and notice Charles Wallace immediately went, Calvin, you're us, you're one of us. And even Mrs. Who said, oh, he'll do nicely. Yeah. It's it's interesting. So there is something, there's something afoot. There's something afoot. I mean, we know that. Uh, how do you like their their um, <laughs> their haunted house props? Mm. <laughs> With the crow and the, the sheets are going to be ghosts. Yeah, it, it is all for um, effect. Yes, yes. Protecting, protecting themselves. So yes, it will be interesting. Um, but yes, I do... I think there's there's also many layers to Calvin to get to know. There's a lot that he hasn't gone into detail about. But if you imagine, he's the third of 11 kids. Mm -hmm. And there's all runny noses and he stands out. And for the first time, he's bumped into someone that everyone else in the village considers to be a not very like to not be bright to actually be cognitively impaired potentially yeah he he even said at the end almost that it wasn't quite an apology but it was apologetic where i've still got to readjust my the the, the social understanding i have of you yeah i've got to reframe how i perceive you my understanding of you has to reshape and i mean for someone to even recognize that and he's what was it 14 mm -hmm. yeah a 14 year old to go, huh, I need to just, one sec, I'm trying to reframe. I need to re reposition and understand things a bit differently again. That's very high self-awareness and con consciousness. Mm. And then you've got this whole idea of, so with Calvin going, I've never even seen your house and I have the funniest feeling that for the first time in my life, I'm going home. So he's never felt at home. Mm. But also when he's encountered and he's conversing and, I mean, being interrogated by Charles Wallace, hmm. notice that it's the first time that someone's actually being able to... He, I think it's the first time someone's been able to speak at his level. 
if not exceed his level of communication. And this is a five-year-old. It, it did, it did uh, hit me how not only did Charles Wallace take complete control of that conversation, so much so that Meg just went and sat down with Fortinbras. She wasn't yeah. even a part of that whole thing, really. But yeah, but yeah um, like, like it, it, it really kind of, I kept thinking, this is a five-year-old doing this. Yeah, and Calvin tried to continue to include Meg. Mm. Whereas Charles might not have been aware mm. that so there's that level that's going on as well. It's interesting. So there's some 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 dynamics already now starting to be set. Like the seeds of the dynamics are being planted. So yes, yes. I'm hoping that for like you're wanting to continue and oh yeah yeah definitely. It's yeah. Um, as I said last week the. Um, one one of the uh, facets of a good book for me is the wanting to keep reading chapter after chapter. Um, and that, that is still very much the case. And I, I think half the reason is the other reason I said that just the brisk pace, you know, mm-hmm. I'm liking these characters. The, there's a sufficient level of mystery. Uh, like, you know, I know this is a science fiction book, so I know it's coming, but even just like the, these, the sprinkles of what it might be about intrigue me. I, and this is probably what draws you to the book as well. It yeah. seems that um, there is a social consciousness amongst the characters. Yeah, they're, they're aware of who they are, but also they're aware of the people around them. And it's communicated. We're given insights into their thoughts and their actions. And their the fact that Charles Wallace goes, I need to adjust myself so that people, I don't want to compromise the other people's sense of security because they're so secure in their understanding of me of a, in a certain way, and it would be jarring. So I have to slowly reveal to them that, oh, they were mis- they misunderstood. So you can't just kind of go a hun- like a 180 from their expectations because it's too much. Yeah, and, so and yeah. he fears, but I think he's correctly right. People do not take kindly to that. The, no. the reaction would be... Um, well, he put it, hate. Not, he was well, afraid of hate. Violence af- is not the right word, but... When you're talking kids, maybe it is. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a he is correct to he's astutely concerned about people's capacity, whether they can cope with that kind of radical departure from their understanding of reality. And uh, did you notice that Mrs. Who managed to sufficiently detract them from their line of questioning at their <laughs> first one that they wanted to do? Yeah, they wanted yeah. to ask about the Tesseract, right? Well, not not only that, but Charles was trying to chide her about the sheets, and that went out the window very quickly too. Yeah, and she completely, and then she distracted, and said, "And we, it's almost ready." He was like, "Wait, what's almost ready?" Like everyone else is confused, but Charles has a, a slight inkling. Yeah, yeah, he kind of went on to the topic of their father. Yeah, and that already, and that threw them again. So they didn't get a chance to actually ask the, about the Tesseract. So maybe we'll find out next chapter about what the Tesseract no, is. No, we're, we're going to get to the end of this book and I'll go, oh, the Tesseract, that's in the next book. <laughs> well, it is a, ton, it's, it's a quintet of books, technically. Um, hmm. but, but look, yeah, the first book has the most, I, I like the first book the most. The others, I enjoy them in their own way, but she... Anyway, it gets it gets complicated with the way the tone of the books changes a little bit. Okay. Same underlying principle, but the tone and delivery is a bit different. But yes, so 
next chapter will be chapter three. And the chapter title for chapter three is Mrs. Witch. <laughs> and that one's going to be tricky for me to pronounce. Now, now it's a W H I C H, I imagine. Sorry, I don't have my book open. Yes, at the yes, moment. it's W H as in uh, what's it, who, which. Yeah, but yes. but it's it's doubly funny for me because kind of the, the their their defense, their subterfuge, and the idea of three old women living in a rickety cudge in the middle of the woods just screams witch. Yeah, with a cauldron that's bubbling. Mm-hmm. Yes, mysterious cauldron that's bubbling and animals that are kind of crawling around and doing things. So yes, yes, it's very, very, very witch, witch, not witch, witch, other witch. You know, witch, 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 witch. That's another book. That's actually a pretty good book too. Just letting it go. Another childhood book that we are not reading, but it's a good one if you if you're ever feeling like a kid's book. Witch, witch. So the music at the top of the podcast is from a score written by Jeff Danner for a 2003 adaptation of Wrinkle in Time. And the music at the end of the podcast, as always, is I Am The Slime by Frank Zappa. You can catch me on Twitter at Rue McMoo. I'm over on Twitter at Dave underscore the underscore turnip. And our podcast has a Twitter page and a Facebook page. Uh, They're the same address. It's at SMBSLT podcast. And if you remove the at and add an at Gmail, actually, you just have to swap the at to the end of it. And then it'll relocate. Be, <laughs> relocate the at to the end of SMB SLT podcast. So you can add a gmail.com at the end, and that's our email address. I bet you that doesn't make sense whatsoever, but in my head, I know what I'm talking about. I No, I, I visualize it also. I see what you mean. But, you know, we, we'd love to hear your feedback on whichever uh, a platform you'd like to get in contact with us. If you listen to this podcast on a platform that allows reviews or ratings, we would love uh, for you to be able to do that, you know, get the podcast out to more listeners. Uh, if you have friends that you think might enjoy us reading through these books and the discussions we have, please let them know about it. And, you know, uh, I because, you know, we're doing that weird time thing where it's before Christmas now, but by the time you listen to it, it'll be after Christmas. Whenever you celebrate around this time of year, I, I hope you've had a, hopefully some time off. I hope you've had a great holiday. Um, and, and I hope you're looking forward to what 2022 has in store. I know I am. Yeah, and I hope everyone stays as reasonably safe as they can. We know it's not, not easy at this point in time. Go easy on yourself. Rest if you need to, uh, and if it's possible for you to. But yes, do your best. That's all you can do. Enjoy your reading, and we'll see you next time. 